eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History Podcast. And you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Bradley Hart on Hitler's American Friends. Over the past century, Ford has become one of the most iconic American brands, from its line of pickup trucks to the famous Ford Mustang. The company's first car, the Model T, broke ground and helped create the modern automotive industry. Yet what few people remember today is that the company's founder, Henry Ford, not only held deeply prejudiced personal views, but also became one of Hitler's key American friends in the years before World War II. To its credit, the Ford Motor Company has made some effort to come to terms with this troubling history, but there's still more work to be done. As we'll see, Henry Ford's views were more than just a private matter. They translated into real-world action, and that had a major effect on Germany's military preparedness before the war. Certainly, Ford was far from the only American businessman who was enticed by Nazi Germany. His biggest rival, General Motors, had a German division of its own and manufactured aircraft parts for the Luftwaffe. As I discuss in my book, some of GM's executives held views that went beyond pure business interest and even bordered on Nazi sympathies. Yet Ford's story is unique, not just because he did extensive business in the Third Reich, but because of the influence he held over Hitler's other American friends in the U.S. This industrial leader was far more than just a mere businessman. He was also an American icon who, like his friend Charles Lindbergh, who we'll discuss in the final episode of this miniseries, would become practically obsessed with Hitler and Nazism. Henry Ford was born on a farm in 1863. After pursuing an early career in engineering, he founded the Ford Motor Company in 1903 and introduced the revolutionary Model T five years later. Ford's manufacturing genius was beyond question, both today and at the time, and by introducing innovations like the assembly line and standardized parts, he was able to vastly speed up production of his vehicles and drive down the price of his cars. Ford scandalized business opinion by voluntarily paying his workers a whopping $5 per day in 1914. That was more than double their previous wages. At the same time, Ford used his own workers as a market for the Model T and encouraged them to save up and buy cars for themselves. This plan worked. Just 10 years after the Model T was released, it accounted for half the cars in the United States, an astounding statistic. It goes without saying that this made Ford a very, very wealthy man. It also made him arguably the most famous industrialist in the country. He was seen as a genuine American hero. Despite his industrial genius, though, Ford had a less attractive personal side to himself. He deeply opposed U.S. entry into World War I in 1917, and he later adopted the view that the war itself had been part of an international plot on the part of Jewish bankers. Conspiracy theories have always been a key component of anti-Semitism, and one thing that history shows us is that once one begins to believe one conspiracy theory, they tend to believe more and more. Anti-Semitic slurs and denigrating terms became a common part of Ford's conversation. In the early 1920s, he even owned a newspaper called the Dearborn Independent that he changed into a viciously anti-Semitic mouthpiece. He began using his position as an industrial leader to distribute huge amounts of anti-Semitic publications, including 
the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, arguably the most famous anti-Semitic text in history. A few years later, Ford was actually forced to apologize to the American Jewish community after losing a libel suit, but it seems that his own views towards the Jews were unchanged. By the mid-1930s, Ford was vocally blaming what he called financiers and moneylenders for both the New Deal, the Roosevelt administration, and rising tensions with Germany. One of Ford's many admirers, we should point out, was Adolf Hitler himself. According to at least one account, the Fuhrer once indicated his desire to help a man he called Heinrich Ford become, quote, the leader of the growing fascist movement in America. Hitler clearly recognized someone who shared his views. As I mentioned, though, Ford's views were not just a private matter. They influenced company policy, too. Back in the 1920s, Ford and General Motors had been competing to buy the German carmaker Opel, which both of them saw as a great way to enter the German market. There weren't a lot of automobiles on the roads in Germany. This was seen as a great growth opportunity for any American automotive manufacturer. General Motors eventually won the bid and bought Opel, but in return, Ford opened an auto plant in the German city of Cologne to compete with GM. This proved to be a very lucrative move. Both of them got access to the German market, and by the start of the war, Ford's financial interests in Germany were estimated to be worth around $8.5 million. It's a substantial amount of money for the time. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. By 1938, Ford headquarters in Dearborn, Michigan, was making private arrangements to supply truck parts to its Cologne plant, in part to meet the German government's demand for military vehicles. These vehicles had to be officially built in Germany, so Ford simply provided pre-built components that could quickly be assembled once they got to Cologne. In June of 1938, the German military requested more than 3,100 trucks from Ford immediately. The vehicles were quickly assembled in the dead of night at the Cologne factory after being shipped in pieces from the U.S., and the Germans subsequently used these trucks in the occupation of Czechoslovakia. One of America's leading industrialists had thus done a huge favor for the Third Reich, and it was a favor that Hitler would not forget. On July the 30th, 1938, the German consul in Cleveland pinned a medal known as the Grand Cross of the German Eagle on Henry Ford's chest. In theory, this was in honor of Ford's 75th birthday and his services to the automotive industry, but his specific contributions to the German truck industry went unmentioned. As we'll see, getting this medal was a major honor. Charles Lindbergh would controversially receive it later that year, as we'll talk about in the next episode. Many Americans were understandably outraged to see Henry Ford accepting a medal from the Nazis. The leaders of a group called the Jewish War Veterans of the United States called the award, quote, an endorsement of the cruel, barbarous, inhuman action and policies of the Nazi regime. The comedian Eddie Cantor, one of the most spoken anti-Nazi activists in the country, likewise denounced Ford's acceptance of the award before a Jewish women's group. He said, quote, I doubt the Americanism of that great industrialist, Henry Ford, for accepting that citation from Hitler. I think he is foolish to permit the world's greatest gangster to give him a citation. I question the Americanism and the Christianity of Mr. Ford. End quote. This was a major indictment of someone who was seen in many circles as an American hero. 
Henry Ford seems to have simply disregarded this criticism and continued his work with the Germans. In 1938, the Cologne Ford plant was responsible for producing a full 48% of German two to three ton trucks. One estimate at the end of the war suggested that 15 to 20% of all of the vehicles used by the German military in the war had been built by Ford. One of Americans' greatest companies was providing vehicles to the Nazis. Profits, accordingly, in the Cologne plant soared. Unbelievably, this situation continued even after the war started, though communication between Dearborn and Cologne was eventually cut off by wartime conditions. When France fell to the Germans in 1940, Ford Motor Company continued to provide vehicles there as well. Edsel Ford, Henry's son and the company's real leader, as his father was aging, kept up his personal contacts with the occupation French government for most of the war. In May of 1942, the French plant was bombed by the British, and Edsel expressed relief in a letter that the picture shown in the American newspapers hadn't identified it as a Ford-owned property. In other words, he didn't have a problem with owning the factory, he just didn't want anyone to know that he did. In 1943, a pair of investigators concluded that Ford's operations in France were being used, quote, for the benefit of Germany, and that this arrangement had been approved by Henry Ford himself. Ford's plant in Cologne continued to produce vehicles throughout the entire war. In 1940, a group of French POW forced laborers arrived there and would soon be joined by thousands of others. When the war finally ended in 1945, liberating soldiers found shivering laborers huddled in barracks at the Ford plant. Ironically, these were American soldiers saving forced laborers from what had been an American-owned factory. Ford itself eventually managed to quietly recoup the profits that had piled up at Cologne, though it eventually had to accept a very disadvantageous exchange rate. So in other words, they ended up profiting in the long term, but not as much as they would have. Henry Ford died in 1947. We don't know whether he ever renounced his anti-Semitic views, but it seems unlikely. His son Edsel had already died in 1943 from a brutal form of gastric cancer. Much of the family actually blamed Henry Ford for putting too much pressure on his son. After Henry Ford's death, the company passed to Henry Ford II, who went on to repair its reputation in the 1950s. There was a great deal of fence mending that needed to be done. This, however, was not the end of the story. In 1998, a former forced laborer filed a class action lawsuit in New Jersey court. In response, both Ford and General Motors created a program to pay out millions of dollars in compensation to the victims of forced labor practices in their German factories. Some justice was therefore eventually done on behalf of the forced laborers, but in many ways it was a drop in the bucket of the pain and suffering that Henry Ford's actions had caused. There is no doubt that Henry Ford was a great industrialist and a revolutionary businessman. Yet these qualities were matched by the depth of his bigotry and racism. Even worse, these traits extended into his business practices and inevitably helped the German military with critical vehicles that let it wage war more effectively and efficiently. Henry Ford was therefore not only a great industrialist, but also one of Hitler's key American friends. You've been listening to guest historian Bradley Hart. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening.